every year, Jesus' parents went down to Jerusalem. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that they were in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed with his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I were anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be be at my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then they went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Well, this morning we'd like to thank you for being with us. We'll pray for the souls of those who slept in this this weekend, Um, but thank you for being here. Uh, real, real quick, I'd like to just um, talk about community. Uh, some of you got the memo as we went through our online deal last week, and some of you went and registered on to be part of community. And so let me just continue to encourage you to visit our website, JulietNaz.org, and register to be a part of what we're going to be doing uh, for our neighbors, our friends, for the city, and the folks around us. Uh, this is part of our mission at Joliet First, to become a community of hope. And so this morning... Uh, Let me just challenge you to be part of that mission, uh, to be part of our church as we find our way into the community and we restore and do those things that Christ has called us to do. Uh, This morning, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas. Very good. Thank you. I do find it quite funny that, that right after Christmas, Christians stop saying Merry Christmas when quite literally Christmas has just begun. One of the things we do at Joy at First is we follow the church calendar. We follow the Christian calendar. And the reason we follow the Christian calendar is we believe that the, the Christian calendar shapes us in ways that the world calendar cannot. And so we, we have unfortunately seen in churches and in our society uh, our calendars being hijacked by economy and by merchants and by consumerism. In fact, If you go to the stores today, you'll have Christmas sales because Christmas sales are over, right? Or Christmas is over, so now we begin the big sale because Christmas is over. And unfortunately, the church has kind of bought into that kind of mode. Uh, My kids are a perfect example, too. Uh, During Christmas, we eat dinner together, and we light the Advent candle, and we say Christmas prayers. And our first week together, as we were lighting the Advent wreath, uh, we were talking to our kids about Advent. We're saying, this is about the coming. And Janelle said to, to our kids, do you know who's coming? And of course, we have pastor's kids, so they were like, Santa, you know, hello, Santa's coming. I'm really disappointed. I'm like, we have failed as parents. Uh, but this is exactly what I mean. Our, our, our lives have been hijacked by a different calendar. And so here, we try to keep time, a new rhythm that keeps us in line with Christ, that we are shaped not by the images of this world, but the, by the image of Christ. 
And so for the next two weeks, what I want you to do is this. As you begin to, we actually have two weeks of Christmas, this Sunday and next Sunday. And during that time, let's do something different. Be weird. Not as Christians are already weird enough, but let's just, let's just make it even weirder. I want you, as you go to work and as you're around people, to wish everybody Merry Christmas. It's going to be awkward, but I want you to do it. And as we're here at church, I want us to say Merry Christmas to each other because the real Christmas has just begun. And so this morning, I, I want us to think about what is the real Christmas. Many of, for many of us, the real Christmas brings warm and fuzzies. I think back to uh, when I was a kid. Uh, we kind of made it a practice and habit in our house. Uh, my dad would go out and get a tree, and then we would invite neighbors and friends and people from our church over. And I can remember we would sit down and we'd drink hot chocolate, and uh, maybe you all did this when you were young, but my mom would have a, a bowl full of cranberries and popcorn. And we would thread you know, cranberries and popcorn until our fingers felt like they were going to bleed. And we would sit around and sing Christmas songs. It was kind of the, a great time for us. The other thing that I, I can remember as a kid during Christmas is my uncle uh, had a brass quartet. And they would go throughout the town and they'd knock on people's doors. And, and they would stand in the middle of the streets, even if it was snowing. And they'd play Christmas carols really loud. And it was fun to watch all the neighbors come out of their house, stand on the porch and listen to these Christmas carols and sing along. Uh, many of you like Christmas because of the gifts. Uh, some of you are gift givers. Some of you are gift receivers. I know what the Bible says about, you know, it's good to give. Uh, it's better than to receive. But the truth is, some of us really like to receive. Can we be honest this morning? Some of us like that part of Christmas. I like Christmas artists and songs. Uh, my, my favorite artists during Christmas, obviously, are Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I know. Dan's like, do you not know who they are? <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why I love them, I, I, think, I think about the, the music, and it takes me back to walking into my grandparents' house where they would have neighbors over and they would be making hardtack candy. And, and my grandpa has this very distinct whistle. And he'd be whistling to Frank Sinatra and, and Bing Crosby. And, and that gave me a sense like, like I was home. As I listen to that music, I have a feeling as though I'm home. Now, I know some of you don't have the greatest feelings during Christmas. I know for some of you, as I said on Christmas Eve, if you weren't here, uh, where were you? We missed you. But uh, as I said on Christmas Eve, it's a difficult time for you. You've lost loved ones. Maybe you've been through a difficult divorce. It's not a fun time for you. As you begin to think about the people you've lost over your life and the memories that you shared with them during Christmas, there's a sense of loss and despair. But, but here's one thing we have in common. Regardless of your Christmas experience, you have to be honest with with, with me this morning. We all have something in common. How many of you following Christmas are extremely, extremely exhausted? Just raise your hand. Be honest. We've got a few champions. Some of you are energized. Thank you for being honest. Some of us have what I call the Christmas letdown. And what I mean by that is this, is we've spent all year waiting for Christmas, especially the last four weeks. But we always look forward to Christmas. We're anticipating this time it's a time with our family, and it's a time where we eat a bunch of sugar, and we get this glazed-over look in our eyes, and kind of like you had, like, the third week of Advent. Too many parties, too many late nights. I understand. I can see it in your faces. But it's, it's like Christmas comes, and then it goes, and there's this sense in which we have a feeling that, that kind of tells us it's over. And we kind of lose the excitement. It's almost like there's sort of this darkness that begins to kind of settle in for some of us. I have nothing to look forward to. There's, there's really nothing exciting going into 
the new year. And so my question this morning for you is this. What have you been anticipating? If you've been let down, if you feel exhausted today, my question to you is what have you been anticipating? I hear so often from people, you know, Jesus is the reason for this season. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. But the reality is this, it bugs me so much because we say that, but then when Christmas comes and it's over, we're extremely let down. So my concern for us is this morning, have you really been anticipating Jesus throughout this whole time? And so this morning, I want us to begin with this thought, that the real Christmas, the Christmas story is a continued story. The Christmas story is a continued story. And we'll get to that in a minute, but, but we're gonna, you heard from Gage this morning as he read from Luke about Jesus going into the temple. I, I find this a, it's kind of an interesting passage for the first week of Christmas. But I think that what we see in Jesus speaks to our experiences of being let down at the beginning of the year. And in some ways, what this story tells us and what we'll learn is that throughout the season of Christmas, we have essentially missed Jesus. We have kept a different time other than Christ. We have kept the world's time and pace. And, and so Luke wants to tell us this morning that there's a different kind of pace that God calls us to. And so for those of you, I know some of you are scholars. You've been Christians longer than I've been alive. Some of you are pastors and theologians. But this morning I want to share with some of those of you who are new to the church. You're new to the Bible. You're new to the faith. This morning's gospel from Luke. Uh, Luke is, is this doctor. He's a smart guy, unlike some of the other disciples who were really, I can't say what I said about him last time. I got in trouble. But, but Luke is a doctor. He's this physician. He's a smart guy who then hears about Jesus. But, but Luke isn't satisfied with somebody else's account of Jesus. And so Luke makes it his quest and his journey to find the real Jesus. In other words, he finds the real Christmas. And so he begins to talk with people like Paul and the disciples and, and he meets with Christian leaders th throughout this time and he begins to, to ask them the stories that they've heard about Jesus because there have been some really bad stories about Jesus. But what I love about Luke is, is he creates this beautiful account of Jesus' life. And as he greets his readers in the beginning of the story, it's as if to say this, that there is without a shadow of a doubt that what I'm writing to you is absolutely true. That this Jesus guy is God. And God is like Jesus. There's no doubt about what I'm writing to you. And so I love the story that Gage, thank you Gage for, for reading to us this morning. I love the story that he read to us. Uh, I think about this as, as they begin their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and then they're coming back. Uh, the question I have is this. The, the, the scripture here says that they thought he was in their company. How do you lose a 12-year-old? I mean, seriously. If Mary and Joseph, Joseph lived in 2016 or 2015, CPS would be knocking out their door. Right? We wouldn't even have a Christmas story if Mary and Joseph, you know, if they lived in our time. Jesus would be completely forgotten because Mary and Joseph neglected their kid. But scholars, I love what scholars think about this very story, and that is this, that that as they would make their pilgrimage home, the women would go ahead. We know. The women do all the packing. They take care of all the kids. They do everything that men can't do uh, because we're too lazy. We're talking about football and New Year. Uh, 
So the women would go on ahead of the men by half a day or so because the men would walk quickly, talking about New Year's football, and would catch up to them later. And so the one scholar seems to suggest this, that, that Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary because they were traveling with different groups. And so it was kind of a misunderstanding. It wasn't something they did on purpose. Another scholar seems to suggest this, that, that they would make this pilgrimage as a huge family. And so the, Jesus might be with his cousins, his uncles, and his aunties, and he'd, you know, he'd be walking around, so he might be ahead, he might be behind. Regardless, he's probably with us. But it doesn't take long for them to realize that Jesus is not present with them. And so I, I want us to think, as we begin to think about Christmas, Christmas really is a metaphor for the rest of our lives. Christmas is one of the busiest times of our lives. Like I said, third week of Advent, I looked out, and you guys looked like you were dead. Some of you are saying, let's stop church. I'm so tired. You know, I just can't even stay awake anymore. Partly due to the preaching, but... Uh, <laughs> but I think about this, that, that we become so busy throughout our lives that we don't even recognize Jesus isn't with us. As I said earlier, we've been shaped by the calendars of this world that we take time and rhythms of our work schedules, of our soccer practices, of worshiping at the temple of Soldier Field. I mean, these are all things that we do on Sunday. And yes, I'll have you out by 12 so you can watch your football game. But these are the things that begin to shape our lives as Christians. And so while we think that we are distinctly Christian in what we do, what we are saying to the rest of the world is there's nothing different about us. And we look like everybody else. And so before we know it, we, be, we, we get so caught up in our schedules and our lives, we don't even know that Jesus is present. Or we don't even notice his lack of presence. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But the question is this, what do we do when we notice that Jesus isn't present with us? Do you find your way back to a place of worship? You know my motto, you can't be a Christian apart from the church. It just doesn't happen. Do you find yourself in the Scriptures? Do you find yourself in prayer? Do you find yourself, like Luke, on this quest for Jesus when you notice that His presence is gone? The challenge for the church today is that while the rest of the world seems to say that Christmas is over and there's this major letdown, we kind of buy into that. But yet Paul in Colossians gives us a different picture. We'll get to that in a minute. But Paul says, you have been made alive in Christ. Why do we look so dead? I think it's because we've been anticipating all the wrong things. He says, you've been made alive in Christ. And so, Christmas, this birth, is really about life. And life is about growth. That there's nothing stagnant about life. I remember I was at breakfast once with Janelle before we had Carter. And this guy said one of these really smart guys, he said, you know, how, how big would your child be if he grew at the same rate in six months over the next five years? I'm like, I don't know. He said, be, he'd be the size of a battleship. Well, that's an interesting fact. Thank you for sharing. Quite awkward, but thank you for sharing. <laughs> but think about this. Birth and Christmas is about life and growth. And Paul is saying that we are made alive in Christ. This is a story unlike any other story because we serve a God that is unlike any other God. This is about Emmanuel, the God with us. And so I think Luke strategically 
this story is strategically placed in the church year because our fathers want to tell us this, that the Christmas story is a continued story. It is a story about maturity, growth, and progression. And so I want you to hear this, that the real Christmas, as we know, is not about trees and music and eating too much sugar and Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and little elves. Some of us have even made it our mission during Christmas to keep Christ in Christmas. But to steal a line from another pastor, the greatest concern in Christmas is keeping Christ in Christians who then continue the story of Christmas. This is what it means to have the real Christmas. So for the two of you taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. The real Christmas is not about only the birth and coming of Christ, but it's about the becoming of Christ. It's not only about His coming, but it's about our becoming. And you're saying, well, Pastor Brad, how do we do that? I am so glad you asked, folks. So glad you asked this morning. You are you're with it. The beautiful thing, as I have, I've continued to say, is our, our Christian calendar, our lectionary, gives us passages that kind of work together. There's a thread that is connected between all of them. And so, Janelle, if, if you're not going to understand what I'm about to say, maybe you took something from the kid's story. Next time we'll invite you up here. Um, but here's the thread. Paul gives us a wonderful way that not only do we anticipate the coming of Christ, but that we become Christ. And so we find that in Colossians 3, where he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I I think there's a reason why he kept mentioning forgiveness. And all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love this part. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the Psalms, hymn and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, God the Father. So, I need for you to hang with me here. Uh, I'm going to be stealing some thoughts from uh, James K.A. Smith. He's a great philosopher, but I'm going to be stealing some thoughts from him this morning. Paul gives us this wonderful imagery of putting on clothing or putting on. So I want you to think back to a time when, when you were a kid and you, could no long, you couldn't clothe yourself. I know for some of you that's a really long time ago. But I want you to think back to when you were a kid. And you would, you would get ready to go out in the snow and your parents would, would put on your, your clothes, the big old one suits, and then they'd put on your boots and your gloves and your hat. And they'd top it off with a scarf around your face and you couldn't even see in front of you or barely breathe. And then you'd look like Ralphie's brother on A Christmas Story, and you'd get done, and you'd say, Mom, I've got to go to the bathroom, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, right on TV. And so, in the beginning of our life, we learn how to put on our own clothes because people teach us how to do that. But then as we get older, I want you to think to college when you had those late-night parties, and you were dating that special someone, and then you had class at 8 in the morning. 
I know I had philosophy class at 8 in the morning. What a drag. But it was almost as if to say this, that we could get out of bed half asleep, put on our clothes, and somehow make it to class by 8 a.m., still half asleep. But I want you to think about, from the time you were a child to the time that you were in college and you could dress yourself, what happened? There was a time of, of practicing what this looks like in our lives. You know, I can remember as a kid, my mom would say, that doesn't match. You need to change your jeans. You need to put on a different shirt. And so there was kind of this practicing of putting on our clothes to the point when I got to college that I could literally slip out of my bed without even looking, putting on clothes and making it to class by 8 a.m. To which we would say that it became a habit. That it became second nature to us. And so I want to think about this with you for a minute. Paul gives us these virtues as if to say, these are to be your habits. Now, Jamie Smith says this, and I love it. He says, habits are ex- or, excuse me, internal dispositions toward the good. I love this. Habits are internal dispositions towards the good. Which means that these virtues become woven into the fabric of our lives. But the downside in the church and in Christianity is we have been driven by law. External stipulations. And so we think that as long as we check the box and we follow all the rules, we are doing our Christianly duty. The problem is this, is that Christ has not been woven into the very being of who you are. And so while you may claim the name of Christ, you look nothing like him. Because he is not part of who you are. Think about it this way. As a parent, you start by teaching your kids with external stipulations. You tell them, you need to do this, this, and this. And as we parent, the hope is this, that that as we guide them along with these stipulations, all of a sudden they begin to embody or imbibe those things. That the very things that we taught them become them. So now they have an internal disposition toward those very things we taught them. You know, it's a little philosophical thought, a little deep there, but, but I think Paul's making this point. That Jesus embodies what it looks like to carry out the good. I want to go back with you to Luke's story. In that story, we see Mary's parent, or excuse me, Mary and Joseph going to the temple and they find Jesus. And it looks like Jesus has this wonderful, smart, you know, 12-year-old remark to his parents. And some of us are kind of like maybe put off by that. But I love this thought that that Jesus very gently, very definitively, takes the role of his father from Joseph and gives it to his father, the God. That in Jesus' life, there was kind of this maturing process. That from a baby, he may not have had all knowledge, but it says that he grew in wisdom and stature. And so scholars seem to suggest this, that Jesus didn't know it all from the very beginning. That he was kind of like any other 12-year-old boy. He, was in, he kind of was involved in all the practices of the Jewish life and church. But there came a time when Jesus realized that, that his life was no longer shaped by the earthly and the worldly, but shaped by his heavenly Father. And so that his real relationship was a connection with Christ, or with God. And so, Paul seems to be saying this, that Jesus embodies the good. 
Jesus embodies God. And this really is the Christmas story, ladies and gentlemen. The real Christmas is not about being let down. The real Christmas story is about us regenerating the story of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the story of Christmas, but we have a responsibility as Christians to then carry on that story. And so I'll end with this thought. Paul tells us that it is our responsibility for the good news to dwell among you richly. And I think the only way that we can share this story, this narrative, this this wonderful news that's been given to us is then to embody the very things that Paul talks about. That we begin to practice these things in our lives. That we become them. That for forgiving is something that we practice over time. So when it, on, on the 20th time when somebody wrongs us, we know how to forgive them without thinking. That compassion is, is part of who we are so we have a natural inclination to then find those who are marginalized and poor and oppressed and help them in every way that we can. That we as a body of Christ become a peaceable people. A kingdom people. A peaceable kingdom. That as we become Christ, we then share this grand story with those around us. This is how God's Word dwells among people richly. So this is the real Christmas, my friend. You have a life-giving responsibility to continue the Christmas story. That is the real Christmas. Let me pray with you. Lord, we give thanks for this day. We give thanks that Christmas has just begun for us. While the rest of the world is saying Christmas is over, we have something to look forward to. We're excited. We're rejuvenated. We've been given life. And Lord, for us, this, this, this is a time where we continue to grow in you. That it's not just about your coming, but it's about us becoming Christ to the world. And Lord, help us to understand that this is our responsibility. That, that as we become like you, this is the way the message and the story is told. This is the real Christmas. That we continue the real Christmas story. We thank you that you are not an immutable, impassable, distant God, but rather you're a God who meets their people where they are. You find us in the midst of our, of our imperfections, and you somehow make the unholy holy. Lord, help us to embody the very things that, that Paul talks about today. May this be the way that the Christian message of you is spread this day. And we pray. Jeannie, would you lead us in our final prayer? Please stand and we'll say our final prayer together. Grant, we ask you, Almighty God, that the words which we have heard this day with our ears may, through your grace, be so implanted in our hearts that they may bring out in us the fruit of godly living to the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Merry Christmas.
You're dismissed.